We're going to read uh, all the way through the text. This is Acts chapter 1, verses 12, all the way through 26. So bear with me. And then they, that's, uh, well, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away, less than a mile away. And when, G- and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas uh, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with, one, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. Uh, the company of persons was in all about 120 people and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among them and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man, uh, Judas, acquired a field with reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants in Jerusalem that, uh, so that the field was called, in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp be desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from uh, the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, and Joseph, who is called Barsabas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So, back to the show alone. Uh, in any survival situation, there there are three fundamentals that, that you got to get down. Um, you need water, and you need food, and you need shelter. And if one of those things are gone, you are not going to last. Um, similarly, the apostles. Right now, they're setting up a foundation for how uh, the church is supposed to be. Like, what do they rely on for their survival? How are they going to make it through all of this? And so uh, we have uh, three things, three simple points. I'm being very Southern Baptist. I usually don't do that. Um, But this is what the text is calling for. So the first thing, uh, the people are... Uh, all sorts of distraught. They have just watched their king and savior die. All their hopes were crushed. They saw him rose from the dead. All their hopes were risen. 
And then he was around for 40 days, uh, appearing sometimes, encouraging people, just hanging out, teaching people some of these like mysteries about how the whole Old Testament was leading up to him. And then, gone. Confusion. What do you rely on when you are alone? This is what uh, the whole group of people did. Right after Jesus was taken up, they walked home, um, wherever they were staying, and they started by being devoted to prayer. Um, This is really uh, Church 101 in a lot of ways. They were devoted to prayer, and in verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary and and Jesus' brothers. Um, Throughout Acts and Luke, we see this big, strong focus on prayer. Jesus is always on prayer, Um, and so it's worth it to just take a quick look at Luke chapter 11, uh, one of the keystone places where uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and one of his disciples say, Hey, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? John taught his disciples how to pray. How, how do you want us to pray? Then there in verse 2, Jesus starts saying, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive. I, everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And that's the short version. Long version is in Matthew or something. Um, and then he goes through several other little lessons about prayer. So he has this model prayer, and then he says, gives this wonderful story of saying, uh, prayer is like persistence. How you should be like a neighbor who needs to feed some of their friends that came over, and so you should just pound on your neighbor's door till the middle of the night, and not out of uh, friendship will he get up, but out of annoyance from from your persistence will he get up and get you bread for your friends, you know? Which, just as a little uh, challenge, I dare you to try to annoy God with your prayers. I think that's really what he wants there. and even more, he starts talking about um, like how God is a father and how he wants to be annoyed, how he wants you to be like children coming to him like a father. And even, I uh, love this little uh, example that he gives, verse 10 in Luke chapter 11. Um, For anyone who asks re- receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it'll be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, uh, will you give him a scorpion? Of course not. Um, If then uh, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him. So, so this is what he's saying. He's saying, uh, God <laughs> knows exactly what you need. And what's more is he will provide even his own spirit, the Holy Spirit, 
into you. And I think really, even in this spot in Acts, they're probably home waiting for this Holy Spirit. They're probably persistently praying, God, please send your Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to give you power from on high. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And they're just waiting and lost. And here, they just pray persistently. They pray without consideration of God getting annoyed with them. They were consistent. And uh, just as a sneak peek next week, we actually get to see the Holy Spirit arrive and see the answer to that prayer. Um, so let, let's keep looking on. Um, well, just one little last thing on prayer. Um, just going back to this survival metaphor, and it'll die out pretty soon. Um, but there's something that's similar with prayer and just drinking water. Um, there's a point when you're drinking water where you will get thirsty. Um, and you know, oh, I need, I need to drink some water. And we kind of have this spiritual sense as well, where um, when you are hungry for a relationship with God, you will generally just go to Him in prayer. But likewise, when you're thirsty and you don't quench that, you'll get dehydrated and you forget, and, and your sense of thirst goes away. Now, I, I think there's a big possibility that a lot of us have been or are uh, spiritually dehydrated, where our prayer life kind of fizzled out at some point, some just regular days where nothing was going on, we weren't thirsty, hungry, in need for him, and for some reason, we stopped thirsting for him. Uh, I would just say be aware. God is hungry for you to be praying for, to him, talking to him, and being in a relationship with him. So what's the next thing that, that uh, they use as a foundation for what's going on? Now, we're about to start talking about Judas. Um, and we very often talk about how difficult it would have been for Jesus himself to be betrayed by one of his own. And I will not diminish that at all. But here, try to see uh, the other apostles, the other disciples' perspective. They had one of their best friends betray their best friend and led him to slaughter. There has to be anger. There has to be confusion. They have to be thinking, why in the world would Judas have done this? And what's more, what we see right here, uh, Judas took his own life in a gruesome way, and it was so gruesome that even the town recognized where he died on the land that he bought with his betrayal money as like the entire town called it the field of blood, uh, the Akeldama. What a scary sounding place. And so the apostles had to pass this place. They had to be around this uh, terrible memory of betrayal. And they're, they're, with, they're stuck in this spot where they're supposed to be 12. Judas had responsibilities. They had 
a position to be filled, um, or there's there's just a lacking. And so, what did the apostles do? They did what uh, they were taught by Jesus to do. They scoured the scriptures and became devoted to God's word to figure out what are we supposed to be doing. They were hungry for guidance from scriptures. This is even uh, what Peter said. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled uh, in regards to Judas's betrayal. Somehow there's, there's a level of comfort that comes with understanding scripture that I don't want to say that there's an inevitability of things. But there's a sense in which God knew what's going on and God is still in control. The scripture here is, is looked at as something that will bring them comfort inside their terribly hard situation. And furthermore, in uh, verse 20, for it's written in the book of Psalms, and then he quotes two spots in two very different parts of the Psalms that are just addressing this specific situation. And I just want you to think about this. How in the world did Peter come up with these texts? <laughs> like, do you, he didn't even have the Holy Spirit yet, and yet he's pulling out these texts that just fit his need, that God's just, it's there. How did this come about? So curiously enough, uh, look back in uh, uh, Acts chapter 24. Um, Timeline sense, this is really just a page back. This is a few paragraphs away from from Luke's uh, mindset. Um, And here, something interesting and powerful and wonderful happens. This is right after Jesus has risen from the dead. He hasn't really appeared to many people at all, except maybe Mary. And there's these two disciples. They're unnamed. They could have been one of the 120. could have just been like a couple of the 11. But they're walking along, and Jesus just kind of pops up, and they don't recognize him. And so he, he asks, what are you guys talking about? And they, were, they said, we're discussing all this that's happened with Jesus. And he's like, well, what's been happening? And they're like, do you live under a rock? How can you not know what happened to Jesus? This is an outstanding and strange time. And they explained to Jesus uh, who Jesus was a little bit and explained that he was crucified. And then this morning, one of their friends, Mary or a woman, said that he was gone, that he was risen from the dead. And people don't know what to do about it. And it seems like these disciples aren't really believing. And and Jesus says, are you slow of heart? Do you not get it yet? And this line is really, really powerful. Um, In verse uh, 26 uh, in uh, Luke 24, Jesus says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All of a sudden, this gateway of information burst, where everything in the Old Testament finally makes some level of sense. 
it finally makes sense that the prophets weren't able to change people's hearts because Jesus was the one who can fix hearts. All of a sudden, it makes sense that all these kings failed and couldn't keep their kingdoms together because now Jesus was there and he didn't fail. And all these things are just piling up and had to be on everyone's minds. And so what the church was doing is they were scouring the entire scripture to understand who God is, who Jesus is, how he's alive, what he's been doing. And this is the foundation of the church, is understanding who God is in light of Jesus. And so I think Peter was really just reading chunks and chunks of Scripture. They probably went through all of the Psalms just to find this bit of guidance. But they found their answers. And God gave them the path forward on knowing what to do, where to go next. And what they said, let another take his office. So foundation number one is is prayer, a regular relationship with God. Foundation two is a reliance on scripture for guidance. Um, And let's let's keep reading to find uh, our, our third foundational thing. Verse 21. Acts chapter 1, verse 21. So one of the men who had accompanied us uh, during all that time uh, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until uh, he was taken up with us. Uh, One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And I'm wondering how many of you are about to uh, consider, oh, the third foundation of the church is gambling. Yeah, that's a joke. It's not. Um, but that is where we're getting normal procedure. They're, they're using reason. Their apostolic role, these specific 12, were specifically there to be witnesses to Jesus' start of ministry being baptized by John and his end ministry, him seeing him alive, risen, and taken up. And so they had these two candidates, uh, Barsabas or Joseph, uh, Justice, whatever you want to call him, and Matthias. They were both faithful dudes, and they didn't know which. And so their solution was... Uh, their, their mindset was, God's in control. Let's cast some lots. And this is kind of like a bit of an Old Testament idea. This, this, is, this happened a couple times where they would put uh, a name on a rock, uh, the other name on another rock, put it in a jar, and they would just shake the jar until a name pops out. It's, it's basically just taking a dice and saying, whichever. And their mindset is, 
God is in control. God's sovereign, and so he'll pick. But choosing apostles was his job, so he should be the one to pick. Let me take a step back and understand a little bit to the point of how you can get there. Because in my book, just me personally, if I can't make a decision, I'm not going to take a dice to to make that decision for me. But there's a reason why it's okay, and it's a reason why it's really good that they're doing this. The apostles' relationship with Jesus and God is 100% built on trust. They all came into this game trusting and believing, having faith in Jesus. Jesus preached this gospel, this good news of the kingdom. And like their lives were transformed by this. Their trust was shaken. A lot of them even failed or even uh, minorly betrayed Jesus himself. But after everything, the thing that stuck through was their belief that Jesus was who he said he was, and he was good. And this good news actually was good news. It's good news that there's like Peter who denied him three times and bring them back into love them. Their entire relationship was based on this trust. And really that is foundational for this trusting that God is who he said he is. It's kind of simple, um, but it's also a bit harder. Like, just take this as an example. Everyone who, uh, I don't know, cheats on their wife, they are believing that the best thing for them is to cheat on their wife. Instead of believing that what God has said is good is actually best. Every time we sin, we are choosing not to trust that what God has for us is best. It all boils down to, are we trusting God? And so for just a little thing as, I will trust God to choose between Barsabas and Matthias. Easy decision for them, because they have an inherent trust in who God is, knowing that he's in control of everything. And we usually lack that. Uh, if you are here today and you have never trusted God like that, if you just think it's ridiculous to even put something in the hands of fate, uh, fate, then maybe you've got some trust issues with God. If you've never even trusted or believed that Jesus died and rose from the dead, or that he was actually as good as everyone says he is, I want to offer that you come into a trusting relationship with him. 
See, God is actually really trustworthy. Earlier, they were praying for the Holy Spirit to come. Shocker, Holy Spirit comes. Jesus said that it would be better for people that he goes. That's a hard thing to trust because it was probably really nice having Jesus right by your side. But it was better that the Holy Spirit come and live in their hearts. It's hard to trust that God is, or Jesus was God and the Savior when he was bleeding on a cross. But through that act, he won everything for us. God is so trustworthy. He is worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy of your devotion to prayer. He's worthy to learn about by scouring the scriptures, and he's worthy to trust. So I don't know where each one of you are personally in your hearts. I don't know uh, if you have serious trust issues and you don't even want to be around God. Just start by praying. Start by reading God's word a little bit and figure out if he really is trustworthy. Because once you see that he is, trusting in him will change everything for you.